Welcome to the Karis Christian Center podcast. Part five, yeah, and I still have, probably have another part after this. So I've been going through a series I've entitled Grace on the Mount. And uh, man, I'm, I'm just really excited to just show um, Jesus' heart for grace, how he is the face of God's grace. And really, um, this, this um, message he preached, I just, I just see grace all over. And I'm going to talk tonight specifically about a revelation of grace. Uh, this is a grace-focused church. We, we preach grace, but I've even noticed in my seven years here that some people think they understand grace, but they really don't understand it. And they, they really don't have a revelation of it. One time my dad was talking, my dad, Pastor Lawson, was talking to Andrew Womack about grace. And uh, Andrew told my dad that, that really to, to understand it, it can only come by revelation. It's just so profound, so impactful. The Holy Spirit has to reveal it to you. It's something you just can't comprehend, something that you can't just ascribe to. Um, but uh, here, here in this first half of Matthew 7, I really see what, uh, uh, how a revelation of grace shows up in, in someone's life, how it's evident. My mom said, um, when, my, when she first married my dad, he, he really believed the Bible, really loved Jesus, but he didn't have a revelation of grace at, at the time. But she said when, when he received that revelation of grace, it dramatic, it was noticeable. It was reflected in his life. It was reflected in how he treated her, how he treated me and my brothers, how he, my dad said it changed how he pastored. So the first thing about a revelation of grace I want to get across to you tonight is, is it, it will be noticeable to people. And the first thing, a revelation of grace will be reflected in your relationship with others. Amen? And um, secondly, I'll give you my three points tonight. So if you're taking notes. I'm giving you the answers to the test. Because I'm going to undo my grace focus and give you a test, and if you don't pass it, you can't leave the door until you do pass it. And I'm just joking. You guys probably like grace more than the law. I hope so. So number one, a revelation of grace will be reflected in your relationship with others. Number two, a revelation of grace will be reflected in your prayer life and how you pray, and how you come to God, and how it's really your relationship with God, but um, it's noticeable on how you pray. I remember when I was um, going to school, going to college, um, I went to secular university, so whenever I had a chance to connect with the, the minority of Christians on campus, I would try to go to different Bible studies, but um, I, I kind of learned I didn't like to go to big group prayer meetings, because you really see people's theology come out in the way that they pray. Do they believe that God is this good father, has good things for them? Or are they praying like they're begging and pleading and like, is God really there? Or, you know, you really see what they really believe, how people's, you really see it in their prayer life. And if, you know, the way that they're praying, if that's how they talk to their own earthly fathers, I think their earthly fathers were abusive or horrible or terrible fathers. So you see this, if people have a revelation of grace, they're going to understand that God is a good father when they pray to him, when they come to him, they know he only has, he only has good things to give. We know that God is good because of what he's given us, right? God so loved the world. He didn't just kind of love the world. He so loved the world that he gave. We know that God's good. He's a good father because of what he gives. Thirdly, a revelation of grace will be reflected in your actions. You know, the, the, the grace of God that brings salvation, I love that, the grace, say the grace of God brings salvation. You know, God's grace, it frees you, it transforms you, it empowers you. I was talking to Heather about this. She was listening to Joyce Meyer and she said at the time in her ministry, she was really focused on preaching about healing and about faith and about you know, um, what you do, and, and God just told her, when have you studied out love and grace? And um, she, you know, having an, a revelation of grace, it's going to bring salvation. What does salvation include? A revelation of grace is going to make you understand that you're truly forgiven. A revelation of grace is going to make you understand that you're truly righteous. You're not just going to have to fake it. 
right? Jesus likes to use this word. I, I, I felt like led by the Holy Spirit to study out the word hypocrite because you see it a lot in, in Jesus' messages, but it's, it's never used in the Bible except from the mouth of Jesus. That word hypocrite. And the word hypocrite in Greek, it means to be an actor, to be someone who's up on a stage. The Greeks invented acting. And Jesus said, the Jews, you guys got a lot of good actors there too. And if you don't have a revelation of grace, you're going to be a very good actor. There's a lot of people who are very religious. They, they even dress the part. Actors got to put on a costume. Put on fancy little hats and fancy little whatever. And Acting doesn't matter. A, a, only a revelation of grace can bring righteousness. A revelation of grace will... will help prosperity flow in your life. A revelation of grace will help healing flow in your life. A revelation of grace will help peace and joy flow in your life. Man, uh, it, it, it'll, it'll transform you, every aspect of you. And it only comes by revelation. Amen? So let's dive in here. Matthew 7, we'll start here in verse 1. Here he says, judge not that you be judged. A lot of people like to, to talk about that, but I don't think they always understand the heart of what Jesus is saying behind that. He's saying, he's talking, he's talking a lot about the law throughout the Sermon on the Mount, but how the law doesn't really save you, the law doesn't perfect you, and even living according to the law, you can be a good actor and still follow these rules and regulations, but God doesn't care about what costume you're wearing. He cares about your heart. And here he's saying, judge not that you, that you be not judged. You know, Jesus preached a lot of very radical messages on forgiveness. He was very focused on forgiveness and how it, again, it's reflected in your relationship with others, in your relationship with your heavenly father, and also in your own actions. And um, one of the most um, powerful messages on forgiveness he preached, and it's really, really I think actually radical, it's from Matthew 18. Let's turn there really quick. Keep a finger there at Matthew 7, but let's go to Matthew 18 and start in verse 21. Here um, it says, Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him up to seven times? Some people have a hard time with just one time. Peter's thinking, man, I'm, I'm being, I'm a really good Christian. <laughs> you know, Andrew's really been on my nerves today. I've forgiven him once already, but I don't know how many times, up to seven times, Jesus said to him, I, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents. I looked up the, the amount of this. It's not a small figure. One talent is the equivalent of 16 years' wages. So this man owed him 10,000 talents. He owed him 160,000 years of labor. <laughs> I actually subscribe to a young earth. Dude, that's 6,000 years, I think, that humankind has been around. This guy had to be around for a long time to pay off his debts. 160,000 years of labor. That's pretty intense. This is a radical message on forgiveness. But as he was not able to pay, that's understandable. Most people aren't going to be around for 160,000 years to work off that kind of debt. His master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. He's going to have to have a lot of patience. 160,000 years of patience. The master of that servant was moved with compassion. I love that, moved with compassion. Jesus was often moved with compassion. Here the, we see that the, this master is a picture of our Heavenly Father, was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. So a hundred denarii, how much is that, do you ask? I'm glad you asked. 
heard many people asking, how much is 100 denarii? A, a denarii is um, a day's wage. So 100 denarii is 100 days' wages, so about $10,000. So this fellow servant of his owed him $10,000, and it says that he laid hands on him, took him by the throat, saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, have patience with me, I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw that what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly father also will do to each one of you from his heart who does not forgive his brother his trespasses. So uh, let's go back to Matthew 7. When Jesus is saying, judge not that you be not judged, he's really saying you need to go enter into grace. He's pointing people towards grace. Get out of being stuck in legalism. You need to go towards grace. And um, I want to share this quote with you. I shared it a few weeks ago. And it's this. He's trying to get people to stop focusing on the law, stop, stop measuring their own righteousness according to the law, and stop judging other people by the law. And, and I love this quote. I mentioned it a few weeks ago, but, but really the law only breeds two things. Defeat, if you're honest, and hypocrisy, if you're not. That's really good. That's really good. Judge not that you be not judged, verse 2, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. This is a, a sowing and reaping type statement. If you're going to live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword. Um, you, want to, you want to sow good things. You don't want to sow bad things. You don't want to sow judgment and reap judgment back upon yourself. Verse 3, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how you can, can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite. Again, that word, it's, it's only used by Jesus in Scripture. He used it many times, and it was, it was a, a favorite word of Jesus, and it really resonated with people of the time who especially loved going to Greek and Roman theater because it's full of hypocrites down there on the stage. And he said, first remove the plank from your own eye, then you will say, see clearly. See clearly. Legalism will, will impact your spiritual insight into situations. I've seen people who've lost their spiritual insight, have lost their ability to see clearly because they've become hypocritical, they've become legalistic, they've, they've really lost sight of, of God's heart for people. I've seen people who, who, who think they, they're, they're like really awesome grace and faith people, but they, they become very legalistic and they just like lose sight. They're not seeing clearly. And it's not just talking about seeing with your physical eye, but seeing with your spiritual eyes. Legalism will, will make you blind to God's heart. Remove, remove what's first in your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Um, recently I brought up this scripture let me find it in my notes here. Titus 1.15. Titus 1.15. To the pure, all things are pure. This is talking about spiritual insight. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but even their mind and their conscience are defiled. Legalism will cause you to, to always find something wrong. And you'll just, that, that's what you... It's like the opposite of wearing rose-colored glasses. You're wearing legalistic-colored glasses, and the only thing you can see is, is what's wrong with everything. And you think, man, if I can just get out of this place, get out of this relationship, get out of this church, get out of this town, then, then everything will be all right. But then you're still wearing those glasses. And you're going to keep taking the same test over and over again until you learn how to pass it. 
That's good. Verse 6, we'll move on here. Verse 6, do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you into pieces. Um, no, that's, that's a very profound statement here, and I don't... Jesus, Jesus had a way of finding people who other people thought were dogs, other people thought were swine, but he really realized that they were pearls. They were just in the wrong setting. Some of you might feel like you're just a dog or you're just a pig or you're just, just full of schmuck, but really you, you've just... Really, Jesus sees you as a pearl, and you've just been placing yourself in the wrong environment, in the wrong setting, in the wrong atmosphere, if you will. Years ago, when I was um, going to college for classical music, I, I came across this article that a, a reporter had done in um, Washington, D.C. He um, somehow convinced one of the most famous violinists in the world to do an experiment. This violinist, his name is Joshua Bell. Joshua Bell makes $100,000 per concert. So some of you might ask, why don't we have Joshua Bell here for Christmas Eve, December 24th? You don't know how Pastor Lawson does the budget. So this reporter convinced Joshua Bell to um, just wear like a hoodie and a baseball cap and play in the subways for two hours as an experiment to see how much money he made on the free market. So Joshua Bell was down there with his Stradivarius violin, probably a million dollar violin, just playing his heart out, playing, playing exactly what he's going to be playing later that night for $100,000. Thousands of people walked past him. Thousands upon thousands of people walked past him. In two hours, he made $50. But half of that was from someone who recognized him and knew who he was <laughs> and gave him $25. So if you, if you factor that out, he, he made less than, you know, he made like minimum wage. This reporter did an experiment. He took this pearl, this pearl worth $100,000 for a you know, one-hour performance, and put him before the swine. Each and every one of you, Jesus is willing to give his life for you, to save you, to, to raise you up, to fill you with his spirit. You, you, are, you are a pearl. And, and let, let God determine your value. Don't let the pigs determine your value. Don't let the dogs determine your value. There's a lot of dogs out there. There's a lot of pigs out there. Don't let them determine your value. You are separate from the pigs. You are separate from the, from the dogs. And when, when people start showing their dog behavior and biting, you know, biting and devouring one another, just, just separate yourself. Paul even brought up, you know, religious people, one thing, that, that spirit of religion, that legalistic demon tries to do is try, it, it creates this tension where people want to devour one another. And Paul said, Be, beware lest you devour, like get out of that stuff. You're, you're not, that's not who you are. Amen? So don't, let God determine your value. And he's already, he's already set a value to you. And no one else can pay a higher value. He's like that, that master. He was willing to pay 160,000 years of labor for you. That's pretty profound. That's what he was willing to do to, to just set you free. All right, verse 7. Let's go on to verse 7 here. So number one, a revelation of grace will be reflected in your relationship with others. I actually have a, a little more I'm, I'm going to add to that. Verse 
just something I, I kind of noticed about um, that, that type of spirit of religion um, and how it actually af affects your ability to see other people. Religion causes people to see hurting people through a judgmental lens. And one of the, one of the greatest um, examples of this is in John 9, verse 2. His disciples came to Jesus saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? They're just looking for someone to judge. They just had on their, their judgmental binoculars. Just, you know, full zoomed in. Who sinned? Who sinned? Who sinned? Who sinned? And Jesus just knocked those religious binoculars off them. Show compassion so that neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. He said that there's something greater than, than you guys are looking at the wrong thing. Why don't you come to, ask, come to me and just ask me to heal him? Why don't you just come and, and want to see grace just explode here? Jesus was constantly moved by compassion. Matthew 14, 13, and 14, it says, After hearing about the murder of John the Baptist, he went to a deserted place by himself, and Jesus went out and he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them. That's, the, that's, that's like a spiritual emotion. I, I want to just call it an emotion. There's a, there's a spiritual thing to compassion. It's, 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 like, it's like if your spirit had emotions and grace wanted to reach out to someone, it'd be called compassion. It's not a natural thing. It's not pity. It's not a poor you. It's, it's actually so, it's something that's attached to God's grace that's going to transform someone's life. And when you learn to tap into that, that, that spiritual side of grace with compassion, it'll, 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 it'll transform other people's lives, but it'll transform your life in the meanwhile. That grace that brings salvation, it, it'll... Man, I, I've tried to learn to listen to where God is saying, show them compassion. Show them compassion. I remember, um, I'll, I'll just give you an example of this. Um, after I finished my master's degree, I, I um, was here in Colorado playing with an orchestra in Breckenridge for a few months and then moved back to Houston. When I moved back, um, I... I was very destitute financially. I, I, I didn't have any money. I, I had like $30,000 in student loan debt. I, I believed God I'd pay it off really quickly. Um, that summer I'd subleased my apartment and um, the person subleasing it um, only paid me for one month and then um, threw out my furniture or took my furniture, I don't know, and then, and then didn't pay me the last two months rent. So I was $1,300 short of where I thought I should be. I felt that God just told me to just let it go. And I really wanted to go find this person and take her to court and, and just drop the hammer down and judge her, judge her, justice, justice, justice. And I just felt that God say to let it go. And I did. Um, a couple years later, in, in the back of one of my um, drawers in my um, kitchen, I, I found these um, pamphlets for, for like a, a, a birthing center, like a crisis pregnancy center. I think that this woman might have gotten pregnant and, and just been having a, a tough time in life. I don't know what happened here, but that's what I think might have happened. Um, but a few weeks later, I was um, at church, and I went to the, the, the largest church in the nation at the time, Lakewood Church, Pastor Joel Osteen, and I was worshiping on a Sunday morning, and um, there's a woman next to me. I could tell that she was just going through a difficult time, this older woman, and I just felt that God told me to give her um, all the cash I had in my wallet. And I had about $82 cash in my wallet, and I know that today because that was, that was all the money I had. That was my lunch money for the week. And um, just during worship, I just tapped on her shoulder and, and handed her the, the money. I said, I just, I just feel like God just, I feel it. He wants me to tell you that he loves you and told me to give this to you. And um, it just really ministered to her. You know, she was crying and and I know God touched her, um, but later, later after service, after the teaching, I was, I was leaving through the foyer, and this, this gentleman came up and tapped me on the back and said, hey, I want to give this to you. And it, it was, it was a, a wad of cash. And I later counted it. It was almost the exact same amount. It was right around $82. It was like a dollar or two off. 
And I asked this guy, you know, hey, did you happen to sit by me in church? Because I actually did the same thing to another person. I gave this woman, you know, some cash. And he said, no, this is the first time I've seen you. And um, I was so excited, not because I, you know, had my cash money, you know, my lunch money, but uh, I knew that, I, that I, I really heard from God. And because um, I knew, like, st- like, statistically, the chances of that happening aren't, they're off the charts. It's like the same statistics of all of us existing in the cosmos. It wasn't some accident that we're all here. It wasn't some accident that I gave this woman money and that some other man came up and gave me that same amount of money right after. And I was so excited because I, I had confirmation from God that I heard from him. That, and, and shortly after, just, just financial miracles started breaking out like crazy in my life. And it all started from me realizing, am I gonna, which master am I going to serve? What am I going to lay down today? And when God says, says, demonstrate compassion towards someone, that might be forgiving them, that might be giving something to them, that might be just letting something go, that might be just do it. And you'll see an explosion of grace in your life. And God's grace, it's never in short measure. When God bursts through with, with grace, it's always supernatural, it's always abundant, it's always life-altering. That, that explosion of grace, it might impact your, your physical health, it might impact you financially, it might impact you relationally. So learn, learn to listen to that heart of Jesus, that heart of compassion. And again, it's not an emotional thing. It's not like someone twisted your arm and guilted you, in, you know, by showing little puppy dogs on a commercial. And I hate manipulation. I absolutely hate manipulation. I hate it when anyone tries to manipulate people. The world does it. Sometimes people in the church do it. Hypocrites. It's, it's, it's an acting type thing. It's trying to get people through, through their acting to have an emotional reaction. That's what actors do. They try to get people to emotionally react. True ministers of God shouldn't just get people to emotionally react. They should get people to, to hear from God themselves, to get people to hear from God from the Word, to hear from God from the Spirit. Not just trying to emotionally manipulate people. Amen? That was a good little word right there. The revelation of grace will be reflected in your actions, in your relationship with others. Number two, a revelation of grace will be reflected in your prayer life. Verse seven. Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. And I love, I love what he says later in this section, I'm talking about how this revelation of grace reflects your prayers. Ultimately, you're gonna, the way you communicate with God is you're communicating with him as a good father. Say a good father. If your prayers of what you say about God doesn't, like if it would make you know, social services want to arrest someone, the, the way some people talk about God and the things he does, like I, I'm thinking you really don't understand that he is a good father. He's not the author of sickness. He's not the author of death. He's not the author of disease. He only creates good things. He only creates beautiful things. He's the author of life. He's the author of light. He only wants to save people. Approach him as a good father. Ask, seek, knock. Someone um, emailed the church a few weeks ago, and I, I like it when someone emails me kind of a nerdy type question, or emails the church a nerdy type question, and our, our secretary is known to just forward it to me because I enjoy. And this, this um, question, is, and I, I looked the guy up to just make sure he, you know, my time would be worth it. I don't want to cast my pearls before the swine, you know. And I could tell, you know, this guy was actually a Bible school student. He was married, had a family. He seemed like a, 
you know, he, he's a sincere person. He actually wanted, wanted an answer. He wanted to learn. He didn't just want to pick a fight. Um, and um, so he asked this question, you know, about, about Bible translations. And because um, he, he noticed, um, just as he really digs into the word, that even in the King James Version, um, like there, there's sometimes words that are in italics. That means they're not there in the original Greek and the authorized you know, original Greek version, and um, so he, he's wondering what's, what's really the inspired word of God? Is it just only the Greek, or is it only the, the biblical Hebrew? You know, is it, you know, are, are, is the King James just as, as good as we can get, or, or and I, 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 um, I told him, um, I'm not going to sound as smart as I did when I, I actually thought through my email, but, but really language, language is, is a funny thing. Because some things exist in one language, but not in another language. And um, here in the Greek, it says ask, seek, and knock. But, but there is a verb tense here that's, that we don't even have in English. It's called the Greek imperative. And it's, it's, a, it's a present tense, but with continual action. That's based upon, like, this is going to happen. There's expectancy to it. So we don't even have this in the English. We don't even have this, this verb tense in the English language. Some languages don't even ha have the concept of zero in their language. So if you meet someone who's from that culture, just explaining zero to them, it, it's... Um, I was talking to another pastor about this question, and we were kind of nerding out further. I told him, like, my, my kid at school right now, they're teaching him, um, it's called Singaporean math. And it, it, it's, there's a reason why Chinese people are very good at math, and it's not because of the, the, it's not because of their, their race, but, but a, a lot of scholars believe it's because of how, how their language is, how their language relating to numbers is. So, so in Chinese, it's one, two, three, and then one, ten, one. One, ten, three ones. Thir we don't say 13, it's one, ten, three ones. Or one, one hundred, two tens, three ones. And the way of just viewing numbers with that type of language subscribed to it, it just makes math a lot easier. Especially starting at a young age, and if, if kids can grasp numbers and just it's, it's just like a calculator to them, at a, the, the, the way the Chinese language for numbers works, it's more like how a, a computer would think of numbers. And, and our English language, we, we, English has some funny things to it. And like 13, 14, 16, it's, it's a little odd. Um, but what I, what I told this guy is, is um, you know, I, I took biblical Hebrew for a year. At the end of the year, it was a very intense class. We read through the book of Esther. You know, from the start of it to the, the end of it, I could pretty much understand everything in Esther from biblical Hebrew. But when I read through it, I, I went and got my King James Version out, and I read through it. And I compared it to the Hebrew, and I'm like, man, this is 99.9% accurate. I'm so thankful that someone else translated this for me. Because it's much easier to read. And I said, really, I said when, when Luther translated the Bible into German, it might not be the greatest German translation, but, but it, it, it revolutionized people's life because they got to see what God's true heart was. So I said, whatever translation helps people see the truth about God, the truth of the word, whatever, whatever translation helps give them insight into who God really is, into what his promises really are, into what his word really says, it's fine. Amen. You know, and I, I, I love the King James. I love the new King James. I, I read from the, I actually read King James when I was a kid. And I, I, I do New King James just because some people get really hung up on the these and the thous and the yees. And the, I actually love the King James because of the, the heritage behind it, because it was the English translation for centuries. And um, I like the New King James because it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very close word-for-word -word translation. Some translations are phrase-by-phrase translations, which are okay. Um, good translators, if you go to another country and you try to minister, they're not just going to try to translate you word for word for word because the, there'll be a breakdown in the flow. Sometimes they're going to have to pick up the heart of what you're saying. 
hopefully catch, catch you phrase by phrase. Right, so phrase by phrase translations are um, translations like the NLT, the, the NIV. Some of those translations I, I, I don't like as much as a word for word translation, but if it helps you, and sometimes it's just a single word, though, that, that the way people translate it has, has different connotations. And, and again, it's, it's, it's a language thing. You know, my, my um, sister-in-law, Kendra, she's married to my brother, Peter, my youngest brother, Peter. They both went to Princeton together. She actually got born again through campus ministry at Princeton. She um, grew up in Tokyo, Japan. Her dad was the, the president of Estee Lauder, the makeup company in Asia. And um, um, incredibly smart, incredibly talented person. She, she did Japan, Japanese studies at Princeton, and um, she, um, Princeton undergrads have to write a senior thesis, um, a, very, a very big document. But her thesis is on um, just why the, really there's only one translation of the Bible into Japanese. And she said the, the way they translated the word for God is one reason why many people in Japan aren't saved. Because the, the way the translators just, just said that one word, it may, it, there's a connotation to it. Like it's not the one true God who created everything. It's just the Japanese word for God. Does that make sense? So I, I love... I love Many, and it's actually great to, to look at things from multiple translations. And it's good to look at things in the original Greek, the original Hebrew. But if you, if you really love the message translation, the passion translation, if you, which are, are like paragraph by paragraph type translations, which, which do sometimes have good insight and can help you understand what, what, what God's really trying to say. So, so there is a place for those things. Does that make sense? But for, for like a main kind of nitty-gritty type Bible study, I, I tend to go for a good word-for-word -word translation that, that had like a committee of translators where people kind of hash things out. And it wasn't just one person making all the decisions, but does that make sense? But language, God, God can actually speak, he can speak to you through language, but he can speak to you beyond language as well. He can speak to you through a song, through a melody, through through pictures, how many of you have ever had like a, a picture from God? Sometimes he needs to, to get something across to you that even language wouldn't fully convey to you. Sometimes he can speak to you through a relationship. God's spoken to me a lot through, through being married, through having kids, just through those types of things. Ask. Keep asking, like, like the English language can't even fully say what he's saying here. Ask, it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. And I love, I love, I wish I knew Greek better and, and could fully understand that verb tense, but it, it, to me, it kind of reminds me of like our kids when we're driving somewhere, somewhere. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? They ask, and they keep asking. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And you give them the answer, but they keep asking. Jesus is saying, it's okay to do this with your Heavenly Father. You can ask and keep on asking and keep on asking and keep on asking. I saw a funny cartoon where this dad was driving with his wife and the kids in the back and he was asking, are we there yet? Are we there yet? And they'd fallen asleep, but they had a, a, a tape recorder just playing, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? <laughs> Verse 8, for everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds... And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if, he, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? And Jesus just lays this out so plainly. Man, religion will really twist this around, where, God, I asked you for healing, but you gave me sickness, and you're trying to bless me through sickness. Jesus is trying to make it as simple as possible. If, if, if the son asks for bread... Healing is the children's bread. We'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? And I like what Jesus does with fish and with bread. When people are hungry and they need some fish and bread, man, he, he shows up with grace, and it's always in abundance and overflow, more than enough. 
Verse 11, if you then being evil, he's not saying you all are evil. He's saying by in comparison. Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your father who is in heaven give good things? Say, my father who is in heaven only gives good things. If anyone preaches anything against that, it's so plain. It's so plain. I think that's plain in in almost any translation of the Bible. He only gives good things to those who ask him. Verse 12. It's my last part here. A revelation of grace will be reflected in your actions. And I was thinking about this this phrase here, the grace of God that brings salvation. I kind of mentioned this earlier in my message, the grace of God that brings salvation. Man, having a revelation of grace, it will affect you. And it will be noticeable in your relationships with other people. People who are close to you will realize it. They'll they'll, they'll see there's been a shift here. It will will affect how you come to God and how you receive from God. Receive from him on all fronts whether it be, be physical, financial, emotional, relational. But it'll, it'll affect your actions as well. And I love something that Paul wrote to Titus, to Pastor Titus. I love reading all of Paul's letters to pastors. I saw this famous meme going around online about it looks like America needs a letter from Paul. And I said, that's true. Well, I'm glad that America does have a letter from Paul. I'm glad that American churches do have a letter from Paul. It's called Romans. They should read it and believe it and do it. Paul wrote some great letters to us, you know, that he, the Corinthians, the Philippians, the, and, and he wrote great letters to preachers as well. Titus 2 Verse 11, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Teaching us. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts. So if if someone is saying that this, this type of grace I'm preaching, you can just do whatever you want, you can just do what the world thinks is normal, you can just go with the flow, I know that's not the grace of God, that's the grace of Pastor Wokey Artichokey. But that's not the 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 grace of God that brings salvation. And only the grace of God brings salvation. It will actually teach you to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace is always going to put your focus on Jesus and your hope on Jesus. The blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us. I know that because he gave himself for me, that he has great things in store for me in the future. That he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people. He's saying, he, he, you might be around swine and dogs, but you are, you are purified. You are a pearl. You are special. And we should have this just earnest for, for good works, for doing things for him. Things that are going to have eternal value, right? Let's go back here to Matthew 7. Verse 12. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. I love that verse. I love that verse. I love that. I want, to, I want to share this about it. And if you know that God has been so good to you, you're going to want to pass it on to people around you. 
If you know that God loves you, you're going to want to pass that on to other people. Jesus said this in John 13, 34 and 35, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. I love what James says about this same verse here. James, who again was, was uh, an early pastor, he was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, he actually says this is the royal law. This is a law for kings. This is a law for, for all of us as believers. Um, James 2, um, flip here really quick. Keep it, again, keep a finger there in Matthew 7. James 2, verse 8 it says, if you really fulfill the royal law, say the royal law. I love that more than the, the golden rule or the golden law, you know, the, the, the royal law. According to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. James had the same revelation that Paul did. That if you're guilty in one point of it, you're guilty of it all. The, the law does not make you righteous. Verse 11, for he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. Now if you do not commit adultery but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by what? The law of liberty. Grace. He's saying you are being judged by grace. So that's how, that's how you are to judge other people. The, 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 the way you are to judge other people, the law that, that you, it, it's through the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to, to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. God's plow, power flows from grace, from true grace. When the true grace of God is preached, his power is released. When the true promises are preached, great power is released. I know when churches get away from the grace of God, from the gospel of grace, that the power stops flowing. When churches get away from believing and preaching the, the, the word of God, the, the, the word is full of its grace and truth, its spirit, its life. If you get away from believing and just saying, this is what we believe, this is our doctrine, the power of God stops flowing. The grace that brings salvation and everything that accompanies it just The grace of God that brings salvation. Let's go back to Matthew 7. The grace of God, a revelation of grace, will impact your walk. Jesus says it here very plainly in verse 13 and 14. He says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. But narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. He's saying here, you can't just go with the flow. You are his own special people, zealous for good works. You're gonna, at times, you're going to stand out. You know, when I was 12 years old in Kit Carson, Colorado, there's a prophetess who came to town there. She, she's, she's since passed away, but, but she had this word for me, Bobby Jean Merck. When I was 12 years old, she said that you're going to be in the midst of an opposing people, but it will not affect you. You'll be surrounded by wolves, but you won't be eaten. And um, I've, I've found that, that word to, to have come to pass in my life in, in various settings, in various settings, and I know, I know I, I'm, I'm not created to just go with the flow. Going through the broad gate and going along the broad path might be easier. It might be the path of least resistance. Going through the narrow gate, there might be more pushback at times. It might squeeze you at times, but that's the way to go. Amen? And I, I love this, this psalm. It's one of my favorite verses in, in the Psalms. Psalm 37, 23, it's my last verse for the night, Psalm 37, verse 23, it says, the steps of a righteous man. And there's so many levels to this. The, the, the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. He's the one that's directing you. It's not, you know, peer pressure. It's not the media. It's not cultural norms. It's not what society thinks. It's not, 
And, and, and it's not even the law that's doing it. It's not even you just trying to follow a system of rules and regulations, right? True righteousness cannot come from the law. True righteousness, a true revelation of grace can only come from the Holy Spirit. The steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. It's ordered by his spirit. He's the one who's going to direct you. He's the one that's going to teach you. He's going to be the one that shows you how to live. He's going to be the one that shows you what steps to take. Amen? So this is my conclusion. Keep stepping up in God's grace. Keep stepping up in God's grace. Keep going from grace to grace. I remember when I, when I first went to college in Pittsburgh at Carnegie Mellon, um, um, the, the, the music school was in this really old building that Andrew Carnegie had built himself. And it, it was like five stories of these marble stairs. And um, they'd been walked on so many times, they were just like the marble had worn down where the students have walked over these things for 100 years. And um, um, I went to the College of Fine Arts and um, you know, at the top was like the, the, the design students and the art majors and, and um, I heard stories about various things that flowed down from these stairwells, various... I just had this, this picture that just talked about just the parties that these, you know, people of Babylon would have and just the things that would flow down from these stairs. But I just got this picture of God's grace and how we're to go from grace to grace and step up in his grace. And when you keep going up that stairwell of grace, the only thing that will flow down is the miraculous power of God, his anointing. It's so connected to his grace. Keep stepping up. Keep staying in the, that stairwell of grace. Keep going from grace to grace. Keep going up that and I'm telling you that, that, that the, the stairwells of grace, people have been walking up. People have had a revelation of grace. For God, God has not left his church, his body of Christ, his bride, without that understanding of grace. You see it throughout church history. God has always brought, brought apostles and prophets in who proclaim what true grace is. And people have, have always been going up that. And, and when you are, are going up and just really connected to God's grace, that is where his miraculous power always flows. Amen? It's nowhere else. Amen? Awesome. All right, right now, Heather's going to come up. Thank you for listening to the Karis Christian Center podcast. If you would like to receive prayer, product, or more information about the ministry, go to www.karischristiancenter.com or call us at 719-418-4000.